cannabis topics in less than 10 minutes. Let's go. What's up, guys? Welcome back to an episode of The Dime. I'm Brian Fields, and with me, as always, is Kellen Finney. This week, we've got a very special guest, Rob Seacrest, co-founding president of Polaris Capital Group. Rob, thanks for taking the time. How are you doing today? Doing well. Thanks for having me back. So as the first, are you consistently paving the way? Obviously, there's no roadmap in saying, hey, this is how things do. How, how does that work when you're kind of paving the way for the first of? Yeah, so we've paved the way in commercial real estate lending prior to pivoting to cannabis. So we're not new to paving the way. And that that might be in thought process or in structure of deals. Um, we were the first to come up with a 100% loan-to-cost basis loan back in uh, 2010. And we teamed up with a hedge fund that put up the equity and did a profit split with our borrowers. And we lent to 50% loan-to-value um, with six months prepaid interest reserve. So we're not new to structuring and coming in up with ideas as the markets move around. But cannabis is, is challenging because when you run into third parties and you're trying to get through and thread the needle, we only have control over what we do internally. And when you start going and you have to rely on title insurance, property insurance, um, uh, errors and emissions insurance, things like that, and you're relying on third parties that may have a clause that says if this is federally illegal, we won't insure, then it becomes a lot. We don't have the same uh, leverage that we would be able to, to have if we're just in a traditional market and we're just trying to get additional coverage or better pricing or whatever it might be. One of the things that we've seen is pretty popular in the industry is sale leasebacks. And I'd like you to kind of expand on what that is and, and how it kind of works. Yeah, so... A sales leaseback is different from a lender in that the sales leaseback owns the property. And so the way we kind of think about a sales leaseback is that it's kind of a synthetic loan of a 15 to 20 year loan to recover your entire principal. So it's a 100% loan um, recovered over 20 years. You've got the property, so you're never going to you know have to foreclose on that. But the disadvantages in this particular industry is that you're completely cashing out the borrower day one at a, at a period of time where, frankly, they're willing to, to do anything to, to, to free up cash uh, without having to sell uh, stock or, or raise more equity. And so you you now un, unaligned the borrower's interest, previous borrower's uh, interest from that property to stay there. And then you put them in a lease that has an escalator in there for the next 15 to 20 years. And that escalator is going to continue from an initial base rate in today's market, where most likely that as the markets become more and more efficient, that the base rate will want to, will tighten or compress and become more efficient. And you're stuck in something that's going wider and wider and wider as costs of capital are going to come down. So we think that that is not necessarily the best um, strategy for a new emerging market from both emerging from the asset class and the regulatory. And, and God forbid that uh, you could do uh, interstate commerce. And now where those markets that you had for protective margins and limited license states now become evaporate overnight. And so those things are how we think about stuff. And we just don't think that that's uh, what's the right direction. So, you know, our expertise in lending, we, we just believe that this is a better, more efficient way to operate in the sector. So I got to go back. 
just to clarify, you said California has potentially 1,600 dispensaries that still need to be built. And that, I can already, correct. can already hear everybody screaming, but Rob, California's so cutthroat, everyone's going out of business. How? So to have enough capacity for the entire state to be serviced statewide, if, if in a perfect market that was fully mature, that's what the capacity is. So we are constantly having to reevaluate our data and, and look at it. Uh, for example, Las Vegas or Nevada, Las Vegas has this massive tourism flow. And so we have to factor that into our, our data sets as well. New York is another state that has 1,600 dispensaries under. Now, it doesn't factor in what those are the two high, highest states. So what that basically tells you, it's your, the way I'm saying it, it's not that you're, you're absorbing the data in the wrong way. What, what it's telling you is that the market is not stabilized. What it's telling you is that there's massive capacity there that is unfulfilled. How that it gets accessed and how that comes out is is, is regulatory landscape within the state and, and as it builds a more mature market. So those data sets are set on what's the universe of the, of the total population, if the total population is served based on what today's metrics are. So Rob, rank these in value for the cannabis industry or most important for the operators in the industry, safe banking, removal of 280E, interstate commerce. Well, I think that removal of 280E is the most impactful because how I think about it, and I'm, I'm not an expert in, in tax code, but the way I think about it is that impacts every single cannabis business across the entire country at once. Everybody gets to save on that. And, and what most people may or may not know is that we're, we're talking about 280E is the ability to write off your expenses at the federal level. Well, a lot of people may or may not know that there are states that are cannabis friendly, like Chicago or uh, sorry, Illinois, that even though the state is cannabis friendly, they still won't let you write off your expenses at the state level. So why I think that that one's the most impactful is that virtually every single com company gets 20 to 40% uplift on what their increase in net revenue, I'll call it. And I think that that is the most meaningful one. And, and it depends on how it happens. If you were to deschedule it to three, I think that now that also would free up some things on banking and some other things potentially there as well, possibly. Again, I'm not an expert in that, but I think that the, the 280E is the biggest one or the most impactful, but I think it's the hardest one to get. The next one for, for the industry would be some meaningful form of safe banking. I think that that helps, that clears a path for institutional investors. And so I think what most people don't realize is that one of the reasons that this sector is really struggling for so long, at least domestically in the United States, is that there is no institutional investors. All of the movement, all of the things that you've seen happen, all of the exacerbation of emotional purchases and all the waves that you've seen have been all retail investors. There's no institutional investors able to participate in a U.S.-based company. And so the, the first time that that path has been cleared through was by Jason Wild uh, through the CSC. And that was why that was so significant. Um, what is the most expensive lesson you have learned? Man, so lessons are learned in, in dollars and time. So and the, the least expensive lesson that you can learn is actually listening to somebody else's mistake. For us, um, you know, I think that we've dodged most of, of the, uh, the bullets. One of the ones that we learned was, um, you know, and, and this happens whether it's cannabis or not cannabis. You've got small towns that have building departments and those building departments have the power to issue certification of occupancies and the 
and the uh, CUPs, conditional use permits for the cannabis use in these properties. And um, sometimes those people are not doing things that were what was said contractually or or by permits that were issued of what's supposed to happen in the future because maybe they have some economic uh, incentive for something else happening. And we did run into that in a city in California. And um, it was really interesting to see how low-level city officials were putting the entire city at risk from a, a massive lawsuit and losing their entire cannabis goodwill from the industry um, by simply trying to force, force in a cannabis operator that they thought was better into a permit that was already issued to somebody else. What is the first state to reach maturation and when do you think it occurs? Now, I'm not looking at our data to make that prediction. So this is just purely speculation. I would say that it's probably going to be California. Uh, and there's a lot of reasons why. I think that you've got a legislation that is a supermajority, and that gives you competitive advantage to uh, getting things done there that's pro-cannabis. And so most people may or may not know that, that, that the Republicans don't matter whatsoever in the state of California. Anything that the Democrats decide to vote on, they don't need a, a single vote from the Republicans. So I think, and, and the fact that it's unlimited license and that it's a state that has such a history in, in cannabis, whether it's legacy markets or not, I think there's a self-interest for them to, to, to the legislation is, is an important element of that. And I think that that combined with the fact that it's an unlimited license will give them the, the, the largest head start. Rob, for our listeners, they want to get in touch, they want to learn more and they want to follow you. Where can they find you? Well, they can follow us on our YouTube channel, which we're trying to get out educational uh, videos quite frequently. We post those on LinkedIn and on Instagram and Twitter. And you can follow us at Polaris CG is, I think, the Twitter handle. You could reach out to Investor Relations IR at PolarisCG.com if you have uh, interest in, in our fund. For borrowers, uh, it's info at PolarisCG.com. And uh, just to let people know, we only lend on transactions that are secured by real estate to experienced operators and typically nothing less than 10 to 30 million for our loan sizing. And you've got to be an extremely well-heeled um, uh, sponsor that would qualify for a bank quality transaction and an operator that has existing experience that that is a proven track record. So those are some of the pre, pre-existing uh, things to know. And we don't do any calls. We wouldn't get anything done. Everybody wants to talk to us to get an idea of what's happening in their market. So you have to email a detailed loan request if you're looking for information uh, for us or response from us. Awesome. We'll link it all in the show notes. Thanks for taking the time. This was a lot of fun. Awesome. Guys, if you've enjoyed this podcast over the last few years, can you please take three minutes or less and leave us a quick review on Apple or Spotify? All reviews make a massive difference for us and help other people like you find this podcast. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your cannabis business podcast, The Talking Hedge, and newest member on Podcon X. So come on over and check out The Talking Hedge. We talk about business news, interviews, investments, events, all that stuff. So come nerd out with me over at The Talking Hedge. 
You can find me at the Talking Hedge podcast.com or on all your favorite podcast platforms. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't, and I'm out.